Uh, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here today. Trunk fan, Jack Butcher and Bilal Zaidi. And we have a very special guest here today. Dan Runcy, welcome to the show, man. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. We got you, founder Trapple. Man, look, we, we reference you, your newsletter. I say like at least once a month, right? And we all, we all have said like it might be one of the best names for a newsletter. So we got to get the story on the name first of all, because it's, it's top class. Oh, well, I never filed a trademark before that. But once I told people <laughs> I was thinking that name, they were like, file that, get that done right now. And I'm you, like, you all right, a trademark for no more. Yeah. Oh, you oh, got to, God. man. Someone oh. gonna be selling some merch with it on there or something. Yeah, no doubt. Might be Jack. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jack, you're Jack's the branding expert. Jack, how good of a name is Trapital? Class, it's class. You pack a lot in there. Pack a lot in there, and a very few uh, letters. Love it. Oh, thank you. Constantly thank you. reference it. Appreciate that. So we're gonna uh, be yes. talking. Yeah, go on, go on, Trunk. You're gonna no, say I'm something. Just gonna, I'm just saying, listeners, we're doing the show unplug right now. You, you yeah, gotta subscribe. get that newsletter. Subscribe yeah, to that newsletter straight up. Yeah, yeah, oh, thank and, you. Yeah, and so we just uh, Super Bowl was a couple of days ago, so we're going to be breaking down Rihanna's Super Bowl performance. We'll be getting the play-by-play there and talking about kind of like culture and music as it relates to Super Bowl. Uh, we're going to be talking about Rock Nation as well, and um, also ca- the catalog economics. So how the music industry works, uh, how it's evolved with streaming and all that fun stuff. But there's also been some really interesting developments in the last uh, year or so, especially. Um, so yeah, and then we, we'll wrap it up with the best record company ever so uh, yeah where should we start off boys how was your super bowl how many wings did you consume how many <laughs> pints did you get into what was going on what was the setup oh, Dan, man, give us so, as the guest tell us yeah, what you did so, so i was supposed to go to a friend's party but then like didn't start feeling well it's one of those things where the kids in daycare now so feel like we're getting sick now and i'm not someone that got sick before so we 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 hung out at home and uh it was good though i mean it was chill you know our daughter we we did get her to watch uh, rihanna's performance so that was fun but yeah it was it was chill i mean it would have been nice to see the eagles win i'll say that but it was still you know Mahomes is just dominant man you can't you just gotta tip your hat end of the day Dan, as a, as the resident capital individual here with the know-how, how did that performance rank for you? What would you assign that as a rating? And then what would you rank that in like your lifetime performances? Yeah, it's funny. I asked, uh, my wife and I were talking about this and I give the performance a B. I give the performance a B because I think that if we know what type of performer Rihanna was before this, I think it lined up with that. She's someone that is going to rely a bit more on her vocals. And especially now, it's going to be a bit more chill. She's not this, you know, dancing performer the same way that a Beyonce or Bruno Mars are. Like, she's going to find a way to adapt it. And I think putting it from that perspective, it's like, okay, that's about what I expected. I think the top ones for me are still Prince and Beyonce. I feel like they brought it more than anyone that I can think of. And I also like that one with like Bruno Mars too and Coldplay because I think that they had a nice little mashup there. Those for me are like the top ones. So everyone else after that. But then there are other ones too. I mean, I thought that the Jalen and Shakir one was really well done. I think and that, that was they, Miami you know, too, right? Brought it. Yeah, that, that was... one was in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. Those had the, I think those had the best real time memes of like, so the, the most <laughs> the ones that recently, so actually, blah, I can't even access. I'm using use laptop. I can't even access the meme on my uh, camera. Oh, okay, for, okay, go. If you want to throw it on in a second. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. 
I remember, obviously, like a guy like myself and a lot of other people, I think, on Twitter are just waiting for the meme templates to pop, right? The, the, the ones that recently were the funniest to me was the weekend when uh, when they realized that the entire show was about cocaine. <laughs> it's like they had a picture of the weekend. It's like imagine like you're a coco leaf in Colombia. This is the last thing you ever see. It's like the, it's the weekend's face. And then uh, and uh, the last thing I'll say about uh, the performance was that Dan, you had mentioned that Coldplay and Bruno Mars are so cool when you had the club, right? The entire time, when I realized that she was pregnant, I'm like, oh, they're going to bring someone else on. So when work came on, I'm like, where's Drake? Where's Drake? Where's Drake? <laughs> and then when the, all the lights came on, I was just like, no. Oh, yeah. They're not. I was like, they can't do it. They, they can't, can't do, do it. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I would- And then I, th- I thought Jay-Z would pop out. But yeah, I was, was going to ask because compared to last year's performance with Dre, uh, and like t- when I first saw Rihanna, I just thought, oh, wow, like she's going to have so many hits back to back to back. But then also she's featured like so many amazing artists. I thought they were just going to do that. And by like by watching it the second time in the morning, I was like, actually, it's cool that she just did her own thing. And she confirmed pregnant. I, at the time, I remember everyone's like, is she pregnant? And like uh, you kind of almost felt bad for asking because she just had a kid. And you're like, oh, maybe she's just coming off like the first pregnancy. But but man, like, could you imagine Jay Z turned up and like all these different people would have been amazing? But um, it was kind of cool that she just like rocked out herself. Trung, this is the meme I think. Yeah, the one I shared in chat. Here we go. Yeah. Here's the meme in a week. Um, <laughs> here's the template for you boys. There we go. So, so there it I is. Mean, right. It's uh, incredible. For the listeners, want, that, the, yeah. her, her on stage was incredible. She's like 50. Well, this is the thing that blew my mind. She's pregnant. Like looking back, I'm like, this is nah. extremely not safe. Uh, I mean, she'd obviously rehearsed it, but yeah, there it is. Super Smash Brothers, greatest game ever. You guys ever play Super Smash Brothers? Yeah, of course, man. Classic. Oh, it's, yeah, it's classic. It's a great, great meme. Uh, but yeah, those were my thoughts. What, what about you, Jack? The uh, her catalog of music is just insane. Like the, you know, I don't know how long the each what was thirty seconds, forty-five seconds of each track, but just epic career of music and like still had some left over at the end of that so that's basically i left with thinking like weirdly underrated obviously she's massive nobody nobody doesn't know who rihanna is but it was i was like kind of blown away with how many of those tracks that she's made in what a career of 15 years something like that yeah, yeah, she could have done 12 since, other songs and still yeah. had a good performance. Unbelievable. And it's like I was that, waiting for uh, Ponder replay, man. That's my favorite. That's <laughs> yeah, the classic like, throwback. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the like there's like loads of milestones in my life that like Rihanna's career basically mapped to my like Oh, that's know, a great way to put it. Starting to go places and listen to music all the way through to now. It was, it was cool. Yeah, it's like MTV watching a movie like the the uh, music videos on TV to like you probably your first drink somewhere and Definitely, and then yeah, yeah. Uh, university or whatever. Um, yeah, Dan, I, I saw you wrote about this and I know it's kind of like well documented by this point, but just to get a quick one on this because a lot of people assume they get paid a lot of money to do this massive show, but in the last few years, there's been a lot of people writing about uh, how they don't get paid at all and in some cases they're actually spending crazy money so could you just break that down for us what what actually happens with the super bowl 
Yeah. So the artists don't get paid, but what the NFL does is they offer a production budget. And I think it may be around like $6 million, something like that. But you often see the artists then putting more money on top of that to do it. We saw the weekend do this. And I'm pretty sure that Dr. Dre had done this himself this year. I'm not sure what Rihanna did, but this has kind of become a bit custom where the artists are like, Hey, this is our one time potentially in our career, we're going to have a hundred million eyeballs on us. Plus all the people looking at this performance afterward, how can I maximize this moment? So it takes everything to that last degree. And I do know that it's become a bit of an interesting debate about whether or not that should be paid or shouldn't be paid. And I do think that in 95% of cases, the whole like getting talent to do things free for exposure is bullshit, but this is the, type of situation where no, like even if they paid you some nominal fee, the benefits that you get afterward outweigh everything. And I'm not talking about the streaming numbers because we always see those articles about how it's like 200, 300% increase. And I already see a few of those for Rihanna, but the real bump is what they do in tour, what they do in their products. And you see, I mean, she promoted her own Fenty product in the middle of the game and she already had drops for Savage Fenty and Fenty Beauty. So she's going to make more than enough money to the point where I feel that even if the NFL had paid Something like I know that let's use Coachella as an example. I believe the artists get four million dollars per weekend to do that. Even if she had gotten paid four million dollars for this, I still think that that is, you know, small compared to everything else that comes from it. She has to be like one of the like most leveraged artists in the world, too. Right. Like the amount of the amount of things that she can direct attention to is crazy versus like. I mean, even the weekend tour and music, but doesn't have like billion dollar D to C brand. Right. Unless exactly. I'm, unless I'm, I hadn't seen it, but it's pretty crazy how someone in her position particularly makes like sense to pay to get in front of that many people. Right. Well, Dan, can yeah. you actually walk through her empire? Cause she is like officially a billionaire, right? Like uh, Forbes announced on paper, like what, what are these kind of leverage points that uh, Jack kind of alluded to? Yeah. So the main two brands that she has that she's the co-founder of is Fenty Beauty, which is makeup and cosmetics and Savage Fenty, which is lingerie. She had other ones that didn't quite work out. Like she had a um, Fenty house that was under the LVMH. I was supposed to be high in clothing. That one didn't work out as well. But those other two, those are both brands that are valued at over a billion dollars. I think Fenty Beauty especially was breaking records. And the thing is, what both of them did was they focused on inclusivity in areas that didn't historically have it, right? So she launches this makeup line and she has all these shades of makeup and cosmetics, especially for people that are darker shades. So it's something that ties back to her and obviously her being from the West Indies and quite popular now that they've expanded in Africa too. And then with um, the lingerie line, she's having so many different wide range of plus sizes and things like that, that we just didn't see before. So I think she was really able to lean into that and it taps into her ethos and what she's interested in. And I forget the exact numbers, but the billion dollar valuation came from, at least it was either like a 30% or a 50% ownership stake in one or both of the brands. I forget how it ended up turning out, but she doesn't own them outright, but she does own a pretty sizable stake. And that's what was used to declare her billionaire status. I think this is actually nice. a great segue because we mentioned at the top about how Rock Nation has been working with the NFL to organize these things. So I guess this is a two-parter. Was the first one is 
she obviously is Jay-Z's like protege, right? Like that was her mentor uh, musically, but how much has he been helping on the business side? So I'd be curious about that. And the second thing is, what is this Rock Nation kind of Super Bowl uh, NFL relationship? And and you've written about it, and I thought that was super insightful. Like, how much has that changed? How do they approach artists and the Super Bowl? Yeah, so I believe that Jay-Z may ended up becoming an investor in Savage Fenty or one of those. I would need to check specifically, but I do think that he was involved there at least at some point. And I think that they were looking at some other Goldman Goldman Sachs investment too. So there's a few companies involved, but I know that he's involved there. But I do think that Fenty Beauty was more so directly between her and with uh, Bernard Arnault at um, LVMH as a joint venture there. I calls him the geezer. <laughs> yeah, that comes to one time Jack was like, Who's that geezer that runs uh, LVMH or whatever? That Who's was that really the line. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, so the thing is, though, with this, it's interesting because in 2019, that's when Rock Nation announced that it will now be the official partner for entertainment with the NFL and it'll help with the halftime show and other things. And there was some controversy at the time because this was still in the few years after um, the Colin Kaepernick protests and some of the outrage because of that. And a lot of people weren't quite sure, you know, why Jay-Z, someone who seemed like he supported Kaepernick would do this. But Jay-Z's whole thing was that, you know, I've enacted change and this is how we actually help support things. We, you know, make it more inclusive. And with the halftime show specifically, there were a few changes that I know he wanted to make that made a big difference. And I think he spoke to this as someone that, at least from his own raps, he said that they've asked him to do the halftime show. He has that line in that one song, I said no to the Super Bowl, you need me, I don't need you. So he knew a bit of the process. And what he spoke to was that before Rock Nation got involved, the NFL would have this interview process essentially where they would ask four artists at one time, Hey, do you want to do the Super Bowl? But he's like, you do this process and you end up making one artist happy. You burn bridges with three other artists potentially. And if you do that three years in a row, then you have nine artists that are, you know, pissed off. And there's only so many superstars in the world. So he was like, okay, let's take a step back and do one by one. Hey, do you want to do it? If you don't want to do it, then we go on to the next person. It it sounds obvious, but that is one of the changes that they made there. We've also seen themes that the Super Bowls have had. I felt like shows in the past, even this past decade, it always felt like it was a bit of a random combination. Like, I like Missy Elliott, but like, why was she paired with Katy Perry in that Super Bowl? It just like didn't quite make sense with the two of them. So we started to see things where, okay, last year's Super Bowl, you had that West Coast ensemble. That makes sense. In Miami, you have the um, Latin culture um, event where you have Bad Bunny, J Balvin, Shakira, J-Lo. Perfect. That makes sense. And although they don't do it necessarily every year. You know, the weekend wasn't necessarily tied to Tampa or uh, Rihanna didn't have ties to um, Glendale, Arizona, but it's still cool to see that there's a bit of a rhyme or reason. And I think that we're just starting to see a little bit more representation. I feel like for years in the pre-Rock Nation days, the NFL never would have wanted to have hip hop be the sole, you know, 
ensemble in that type of way. Like he had to push the NFL hard to make that happen. And then you saw what happened It was one of the most popular shows that we've had. So I think it's been cool to see. And I'm interested because now I think it just opens the doors where, yes, we all know that someone like Taylor Swift or Ariana Grande could always do the Super Bowl, but maybe we'll see some cool and unique things. Like it's going to be in New Orleans in a couple of years. I mean, I selfishly want to see a, a young money ball. Let's get, you know, way Dan, what Dan wants to see in that New Orleans Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. So I want to see the Young Money Bowl, man. I want to see Wayne, Nikki, and Drake. Headliners. Let's oh, my do this. God. Be Can you imagine that? That would be. Jesus. Wait, so actually. They should uh, stop picking uh, the locations based on the artists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dan, actually, when you were saying Arizona, I was looking up, like, I don't, I couldn't name you a single artist from Arizona. I actually looked up, uh, I Googled it. Stevie Nicks is from Arizona. That would have been dope. But other than that, eh, there's not much going on in Arizona for music. The New Orleans yeah. Bowl. Fuck, man. Boy, I, I was going to. I was going to ask a quick question from um, just looping back to what you said earlier about Rihanna specifically, like, should she have been paid or not? Like, should anyone be paid to do the show? And they get a six, seven million dollar budget for, you know, free production value, essentially, to put on this super show. And I'm just curious to get your take on this and uh, Jack probably as well, as he's our kind of resident brand advertising, ex-advertising guy. Um, And just, yeah, I guess if you compare it to, you know, all these people are spending $7 million for an ad, right? I think it's 30 seconds for a $7 million slot. And um, so, like, in this case, they're basically getting free money to, like, put on this amazing show. Like, how much do you think that's worth? Like, if you just compare that compared to, like, a $7 million ad that you're getting for, like, Blue Moon or whatever it was, like, to me, that's, like, way more, right? Like, you're getting probably $100 million or, like, $50 million worth of like buzz basically but i'm curious to hear your thoughts on that yeah i think i saw someone do the math and it was around like 130 to 150 billion if you assume that every 30 seconds of this broadcast is worth seven million dollars right damn so yeah and that's just for the ad like equivalent no-brainer that's crazy but i guess that's also assuming that the Super Bowl ad is fairly priced though like that's uh another uh, what about you jack do you what do you reckon yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, hard to put a number on it and also depends on like it's worth what you can do with it and Rihanna's probably the best example of like the second order effects of her appearing at the Super Bowl has probably grown her net worth faster than any previous entity on there. Attention is the only currency, boys. That's what we always uh, always talk about on here and that's the best, like... <laughs> I'm trying to think of something else that would be up there. Super Bowl halftime show is probably number one spot for somebody in her position. So it would make sense to pay a hundred million to do it, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I gotta throw a shout out uh, to Mash, the TV show about the Korean War. I was just looking yesterday at the top TV broadcast. In- what an incredible segue, by the way. Sorry, that's- <laughs> <laughs> Trung is the, is the king of segues. Wow. The thirty. 30- most watched TV broadcast in America ever, 29 or Super Bowl. One is MASH, the finale, just That's number hilarious. nine. I'm just looking at MASH, like, <laughs> incredible work, guys. Just incredible work. It's like 1982. Shout, so out, the shout, shout out Alan Alda and the whole crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the infinitesimal chance you're listening, man, great job, fantastic work 40 years ago. Uh, all right. Um, I didn't have any more. Oh, so the rock stuff. That was a so uh, just to just summarize. Uh, 
actually the first point you made about like going in order it actually it wasn't that obvious to me like i totally get just throwing a wide net and being like okay because if you go in order it might be three months you know somebody might bail like oh, that that's a risk reward right so somebody might bail like three months before the super bowl and then you you got your hand uh, and then thumb up your ass but like the 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 contra being uh yeah there's only so many superstars so that actually that when i read that I'm like oh that actually makes a ton of sense and then uh more uh, uh, opening the net of who and the type of shows you do, but is there anything like financially that kind of changed with Rock Nation's involvement, or just kind of more of the uh, the culture around it? I haven't seen anything financially change because I just do feel like they still put in good money, even in the days where I feel like Beyonce put on some very impressive performances, and she actually is a little bit of a nuance to the who gets paid and who doesn't because. In 2012, I think that's when Pepsi had became the sponsor and they did it for 10 straight years after that. And Pepsi had did a $50 million sp- sponsorship deal specifically with Beyonce herself. And that was explicitly extend for a couple of years. And then during the run of that, Beyonce performed at the Super Bowl twice. So Beyonce is kind of this outlier where she didn't get paid by the league, but she was already partnered with the sponsor. And I think the sponsor likely had some influence on Beyonce coming at the Super Bowl, not once, but also crashing the Coldplay one three years later. That's a great point. Some leaning was going on as what was the insinuation here. Some leaning was happening from uh, the C-suite of Pepsi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't don't know if we had this on the agenda, but um, how do the... I guess we do the how do the rock nation deals compare to other record deals and i was just curious like in what proportion is all of ah uh, sorry all of the businesses outside of music for rihanna relative to what she earns from her music career do you know um oh i would bet that it's a pretty small percentage from what she earns from music i would say at this point especially just because she hasn't released new music really in seven years at this point i know she did a song for the black panther 2 movie that just came out but that's one song right and that song wasn't necessarily even as big as some of the more recent hits she's had so yeah i would be surprised if it was more than 10 percent at this point wow yeah it's like that's another amazing thing like the like injecting music back or sorry an artist back into culture way after they've had their like heyday in, in, in inverted commas right when they were putting out number one records every couple of months uh yeah it'll be in, it'll be uh i wonder if she has any other music cooking well yeah. I think that's a great segue actually uh, for like what do you think what would rihanna's catalog sell for now and like you've you've looked at obviously in the past two weeks uh justin bieber sold for i think 250 and then you, you've been talking about uh michael jackson's estate selling his uh, catalog half of it for 800 million uh, something along those lines. What was it? Eight hundred? Kind of, you said Trung? for half. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, it was that. It was like a fifty percent deal for around like eight to nine hundred million dollars. Is what was being floated around. Could you talk through like how you even value these deals? Because I thought you the, the Justin Bieber one you put in so much nuance, which I thought was interesting, right? In hip hop, 
you said two things about hip hop, which might be butchering, but one thing was essentially you were very bullish on the the kind of the, the shelf life for hip hop. But for a lot of these catalogs, because of how many people and cooks are in the kitchen for each song, writers, producers, like the actual artist may get less than you'd see for like a Bruce Springsteen or a Bob Dylan, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, so catalog valuations are so fascinating because a lot of the ones that we've seen dating back to three years ago when this really started to pick up, a lot of them were for these legacy rock and roll acts from the 70s or even from the 60s, right? So Neil Young was one of the first ones and we saw Dylan too. And why those artist catalogs are valuable beyond just the longevity is that they, in many cases, are the sole singer and the sole songwriter for that. So there aren't multiple hands that have a stake in this or that, you know, like they're the ones that are doing most of it. And just with how things were back then, they were just releasing so many albums all the time that some of them could have like 20 plus albums and you wouldn't necessarily think twice about it. Right. And I think what we're seeing now, though, things are a little different because sometimes it's one of these things where you have to read the fine lines, but it doesn't always come out when you see a number, you see a headline number, you're like, oh, well, you may think that, well, Stevie Nicks isn't, you know, any more or less relevant than this person that's a more contemporary pop star like Justin Bieber. But there's a few things you mentioned, one of them with some of these newer artists, especially in pop music and in hip hop, there are so many more collaborators, right? So pop music, everyone goes to, or they try to go to Max Martin, right? And he gets a cut if he's one of the songwriters for this particular song, or if he helped put it together. And then similarly in hip hop as well, you have guest features, they're sampling old songs, they're putting that back in. All of those people have a stake. And you look at someone like Bieber, he's worked with some of the best in the game. And I don't think that he writes a lot of his own music himself. So everyone has a stake. So when you're looking at Justin Bieber selling his share, that's after the label takes its cut. And then that's after all of these people take their cut. So that factors into the number itself. And then another piece of this too is what people essentially try to capture for the decay curve for these songs. We already have a pretty good idea of what a Dylan song or what a Stevie Nicks song will stream in terms of how many streams that it'll get, you know, in the next 10 years, just because it's a bit more predictable. But yeah, Justin Bieber has had a bunch of songs that have a billion streams and he's done well. You know, he's a native YouTuber that's risen, but how many songs are, or how many streams are, are those songs going to get 10 years from now? That's just so much more unpredictable. So that has to be factored into the equation too. So you have all these things that are built in and that's on one side that can make, you know, someone like Justin's catalog less relevant, but on the other side, one of the things that benefits him is that he is someone that was huge for a lot of, you know, younger millennials and Gen Z. And those are some of the most active users and growing active users on streaming services in terms of the biggest, you know, users of those services and even on short form video as well. And if you're looking at where revenue from most of these songs is going to come from, it's going to come from those places. So there's some factors that work in favor of today's stars, but there's some that work against them too. So when I hear a number like Justin Bieber's, it isn't that, you know, it isn't that surprising, but there's also a little bit of nuance too, because some of these firms will pay more than other things. I often think about it like a sports analogy where you think you have an idea what an NBA first round draft pick goes for. And then the Minnesota Timberwolves trade four picks for Rudy, Rudy Gobert, Gobert. And then you're just like, <laughs> okay, now I have no idea what this is worth. And you see some of this as well, where some firms pay that amount. And you're like, wait, they paid that for this. And it's tough because you obviously don't have all the details. You can't see all the things, but some people have more resources to maximize 
maximize things. Others want to sit on catalogs. Others want to try to, you know, maximize it as much as they can. So it's a fascinating business. I will tell you that Despacito's decay curve is zero, as in it will never decay. And- <laughs> hey, that's true. <laughs> Wait, Dan, is that the right way to talk about that's decay the curve? Hardest, the hardest yeah. money on earth. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> that, is, that is harder. If you want a store value, if you wanted $1 to be worth $1 hundred years from now, that's put so it into good. Despacito. Wait, hold on a second. Is that the right way to think about it, though? Is it zero on the decay curve that it never decays? Is that right? And then like no, a 50... How does the cake work? Like, I, I want to have the right number. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, I, I mean, that song's decay curve is probably less than, you know, I think a comparable song that came out in 2017, but I mean, it, it, but like all of them, there's still going to be like some level where, okay, this song is going to depreciate. This song is going to decline around like 10% per year. We expect, okay. you know, or something like that, or because it's relatively new, we may expect, um, it, you know, you zoom out and it looks a bit like, you know, a long tail curve where so many of the streams happen up front and then you look past it and it really isn't that many more streams moving the forward. The hardest, that- I love that, the hardest <laughs> asset in the world. <laughs> Is there, are there like any outliers that you can think of like track wise that break the pattern? Yeah, so there's ones like, I think that seasonal music has a really interesting pattern where a song like uh, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is Christmas, you. It's almost yeah. 30 years at this point, but every holiday season, it gets around, let's say, 300 million streams, at least from what we see on Spotify around like each year or so. And then you kind of see it go through its spikes and downs. And it's like, okay, on one hand, the song will just naturally become less relevant over time. But on the other hand, as more people listen to Spotify and Mariah Carey continues to make it a meme and lean into it herself, we're going to see that continue to grow. You also see songs have new life in the age of TikTok and memes. Like look at um, the Fleetwood Mac um, dreams, the guy uh, on a skateboard oh, and yeah, the cranberry oh, yeah. that yeah. breathes new life into songs. Right. And then you just That's have incredible. broader sync things like Kate Bush running up that hill that gets featured in Stranger Things. And we're still hearing that song on the radio. And that was, you know, at least nine months ago at this point. And then, you know, more historical ones too, that are examples of that, like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, you getting featured in Wayne's World, um, Mm. early nineties. And then that goes on this, you know, spike. And then again, four years ago or five years ago, whenever that Rami Malek movie came out and then it goes on a whole nother spike too. So, yeah, we've seen some interesting things happen where there are some aberrations that can pl- take into effect. Well, Dan, let me can throw you... this in now. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Jack. I was gonna, this is going to be a tangent. So if you're going to ask a related question. Yeah, I was just going to ask about, uh, it's related to top songs. Uh, this is this is a little bit different. This is top selling singles ever. So this is pre, like a lot of it will be pre-streaming. And exactly to your point, the seasonal, number one song is White Christmas by Bing Crosby. Most albums ever sold. Uh, but some of this other stuff is, uh, I just like throw it out here. Love you guys' thoughts. Uh, if it can give us any more like predictability on it, it's like Elton John, Candle in the Wind. That's for Princess Diana, right? That's also a very specific event, uh, cultural, the whole world is noticing. And then you have stuff like Rock Around the Clock, I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston. Um, and then My Heart Will Go On, obviously Celine Dion and Titanic. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, the seasonality part of it. And then the, the, the super unpredictable parts is like, what will just be the most culturally re- relevant things ever that this song just gets attached to. Right. So yeah, right. I don't even know if it's a question, but any, yeah. any thoughts on that? 
But yeah, because sometimes I think even meme culture can take its own path with it, right? Who would have guessed that 25 years after Titanic, James Cameron is literally putting out a special or doing some research to determine whether or not both Jack and Rose could have fit on that door. And he <laughs> went to it because there's clearly a appetite for this. This has been an ongoing debate now that has seen a new life in the age of Twitter and people just going back and forth that he feels like, yeah, there is enough to this. And he like did the research himself. So things like that, you just don't even know like what's what movies are going to take form on new different things. And obviously Titanic, so many memes, Leo, I'm the king of the world, hands out and everything. So yeah it's it's so fascinating because some of this is completely organic but some of it is the company's actually working the assets so one of the ones that i've that stuck out to me is um whitney houston their estate did a deal with this company called primary wave which is in the business of acquiring catalogs but their whole thing is like no we're not just a set and forget it passive income we want to work this thing like it is part of our um like it's part of our portfolio. And they felt like there was a missed opportunity. Whitney had died at that point, almost like seven years ago. And they felt like she was kind of getting forgotten about because there wasn't an active estate pushing thing. So they start releasing merch. They start getting her to do, finding some of her unreleased music and doing tracks with that. I don't know if you heard that song that where she did that cover of Steve Winwood's or Steve Winwood's Higher Love. And then that became a Kygo track. Like they were put actively pushing that. And then they had that movie that came out this um, December. So there's times when the people that acquire these assets are like, okay, let's work this thing. And sometimes those things work, but in other times, yeah, I don't think anyone necessarily went out of their way to make Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On work, but it's like she's in Vegas every year doing this show and staying, you know, relevant during her residency. This continues to be a meme. So, yeah, who knows where that will be 10 years from now, even if there is a decline. Jack, do you have a, you were going to say something earlier, do you remember? Yeah, I don't know if this could be a, like, this could be a, a rambling tangent, but I was just curious for your take or summary on like how people get traction in the world of music now as opposed to how they used to approach it you mentioned tiktok before i'm kind of fascinated with this idea of basically the mvp of music right if you can get a a track that that you can scale on a tiktok that's like a launch pad for a career so i'll just be curious for your thoughts yeah yeah this has been one of the most interesting places where social media and access to everything distribution has just changed how these industry works obviously before the gatekeepers had so much influence on what we ended up hearing who they were able to try to break as new stars and if you didn't have the target of a record label then there was no way that you were going to break through but now because everyone has these tools to at least do it themselves even if you want to have that conversation with the record label they expect you to have some traction they want to see okay how are you promoting yourself on tiktok how are you growing in terms of streams what does your fan base look like do you have some type of intangible it factor and at that point too, you don't even necessarily have to go with them. You could try to do certain things yourself and there's plenty of trade-offs, you know, one way or the other. But I do think that right now, TikTok and more broadly short form video is the top of the funnel in music. That's where so much discovery right now happens. And if you're not there, a lot of new artists feel that they're stuck. So there's been this ongoing debate about what are the best ways to use TikTok. And I feel like we're kind of getting past the area of everyone trying to do some like viral dance and just thinking about it. Okay, this is a 60 second vertical video. Let me do something unique and just taking that into their own form. And then 
under um, short form video, that's where streaming, right? So you hope that if you can get some awareness there, then that can get people to stream your music. There still is a little bit more friction there, but whether it's a free service like YouTube or some of the paid ones like Spotify or, or, or the Spotify's paid to your Apple music, you can get some traction there. And then at that point, that's when artists hope that they could just get awareness because we're now we're seeing they're making the real money from the things that are at the bottom of their funnel, which is going on tour, selling merch, or if you're Rihanna, actually having these D2C businesses where you can, you know, leverage that even further. So that's where we've seen things. And I think the biggest flip to how things were and how things are now is that before artists used to go on tour in order to promote album sales, right? So touring was seen as a lot leader to then try to get more people to buy your album and now it's flipped music listening and all and discovery and all that is essentially something that yeah there is some money to be made but they're doing so much of that for their own exposure fan building distribution almost in the same way that you know all of us here may tweet or get awareness for whatever Mm -hmm. and then they're making the real money when they go out on the road and charging you know more money and and other things what that's class. The one other follow-up question I had is how does TikTok have access to every, basically every piece of music versus say like an Instagram? Because I feel like this is their advantage. That's how TikTok scaled so fast. Either they like don't have to abide by the DMCA stuff or they just don't do it. Or I'm just really curious how that works. Ben because TikTok. Yeah, Shrung's <laughs> a huge well, advocate for and actually, TikTok. I was going to add an addendum to what you're going to say, Jack, as well. Was uh, how does that compare with like YouTube? Because I know YouTube has content ID with music. So if we uploaded a song with this video, it would get flagged automatically, and uh, the record label, whoever owns those rights, can choose to monetize it and earn money from the video. So I'm just curious how that works with TikTok as well. Yeah, so I think at least right now, the all of the major record labels, or at least Universal Music Group, does have extended agreements with TikTok and the other short-form video platforms to be able to play the music. So I think that TikTok, in a lot of ways, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've all talked about it here before, but that For You page was just like the generator to just, you know, go have things take off. And we've seen so many times where so many of these social media platforms, it's having some type of music integration that allows them to take off. The thing is, there's been a lot of frustration in the music industry about artists and the rights holders themselves being the record labels and the publishing companies getting compensated fairly for that. So there is money coming in. I think the record labels wish that it was less. The streaming services probably wish, or, or the record labels wish that it was more money coming in. The streaming um, or, or the short form video platforms like TikTok probably wish it was less money coming in. But it's an extension of the same debates that we see with streaming right now. I think the music industry is understanding that, yes, these are the places where your music gets discovered. These are the places that people are consuming your music and they wish that there was more of that money going to the artists, but these platforms have their own incentives too. So it's been an ongoing tug of war there. Nice. Love it. Jack, did you have any follow-up on that before we move on? No, I guess, uh, no, Mike, I, maybe I'm wrong in that. Like when I try and do it on Instagram, I get like no results for songs that I'm looking for. But on TikTok, there's like 40 versions of the same song. So oh, right. whether the way they've built it is like, it feels like I'm getting filtered by some 
thing when I'm doing it on Instagram versus TikTok is just like you're searching through every iteration of this song that's been remixed a thousand times. TikTok had its own rules, basically. That's my theory of why TikTok grew so fast too. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to dig into that. Yeah. Also, um, Dan, I was just going to ask really quickly because it relates to the TikTok piece there. Um, Like you mentioned, like we went through that era, I'd say probably like more like five years ago where people were just making songs clearly to go viral. You know, like Drake did one where it was very memeable and um, I forgot what song it was, but someone in the comments last week's you know mentioned what it was um and so but we went from that area where like tiktok originally was people like dancing and doing these funny things but nowadays it's like way more than that obviously content wise but then i've seen even just from my kind of like n of one experience on there like you'll see these songs go viral and they're kind of leaning into like creating a snippet that is really easy to stitch like you know those trending sounds like those noises uh those things where people can like use that same sound for something that isn't even related to music but it becomes kind of like a meme or a trend um and like the one that's only two i can think of which i don't know the best examples but central c from the uk he had that song um and it's you know a bit of a controversial first line and that one like obviously works very well on the internet because controversy kind of works on the internet and then the second one is a very niche one which i can't remember if i sent to jack but it's a um bengali british guy from the uk and he has a song called uh the line is something like uh, i put my asian ting in a lenga and now she looks 10 times lenga lenga is like it looks like a sari basically it's just a wordplay and leng is like good looking or whatever in this case so, and then you got all these like indian desi girls or pakistanis you know doing this thing where they flip from just wearing normal clothes and then wearing the the, the lenga and that was like completely different to i'm i'm sure he might have thought about that when he made the the, the music in the first place but like what do you think of stuff like that as we evolve now because do you think more artists will just create stuff specifically trying to engineer that sort of um trend there i think so because one of the things that we see is that artists want their fans to be able to help recreate and meme and put their own versions out of stuff. So there's this whole discussion right now between artist generated content versus user generated content. The record labels want a bit of both, but they're like, you have to do the things yourself as the artist, put it out there. People can see, and then hopefully your fans and others will catch on. So we've seen, and there's been studies that have like recorded this. And I do think that that in a lot of ways is the secret aspect to it. You've seen some things that are um, obvious, like you may be referring to Drake. Yeah, that song Tusi Slide. That was like right at the beginning of the yeah, pandemic. That was exactly, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you could tell that this was literally made for TikTok, but it worked and it went to the top of the charts. I don't think that that song probably has a horrible decay curve, <laughs> if we're being honest, because the pandemic's <laughs> over. But I do think that in the moment it worked. But I do think that we've seen artists and their teams that have just worked and put so much effort into it. Like Lizzo is an artist that historically has always done really well with TikTok. She is a performer that is always doing different dances and stuff. And I think that worked for her, especially with her song about damn time to be able to blow up. And we've seen similar with SZA most recently, her song Kill Bill off the SOS album. Same thing here. Like there's things going in tandem. And the hope is that if you do enough, then it'll take off. It almost brings you back to the MTV days where 
artists at that time and the record labels were like, hey, this is our main distribution platform that is helping us reach this culture of music fans. What do we do to tailor ourselves to it? And you could get a sense for that and how music videos are being made. It was almost like the main point that this person is trying to do is to get on TRL or to be able to do these things. Like that's the vibe that you got. And I think that has always been consistent to some extent. People have always adapted music to whatever the medium is. But I think now with TikTok as the next thing, 30 years later, we're seeing that too. Yeah, awesome. Trung, you got a question there? No, I, uh, I know we only have uh, 10 minutes with uh, Dan. So I actually wanted yeah. to put him through some rapid fire before we ask him uh, what the greatest record label of all time is. So uh, Dan, can I hit you some quick rapid fire? Let's do it. What's the best concert you've ever been to? Best concert I've ever been to. Uh, I know people don't like talking about this guy as much anymore, but I went to Kanye West's Glow in the Dark tour in 2008. Ooh. It was amazing. Incredible. Him, Lupe Fiasco, um, Rihanna, um, NERD, Chris Brown showed up. It was great. This was like oh, right that, after graduation. This one yeah. time? Jesus Christ. Incredible. It, it, it was amazing. Yeah. Best. That's that's. I I've been. I did watch the throne with uh, Jay Z, Kanye, and it yep. doesn't sound nearly as good as this, but that was amazing. Um, a favorite album. Favorite album. Um, I mean, I'm a really big. This is a more recent one, but I think that Frank Ocean knocked out of the park with Blonde. That album is amazing. So good. Amazing. I love that. Uh, this is a. We'll do if you were to invest in someone's catalog, but you're looking for return. So you got to make it like getting in early kind of here. So you're an investor. You're Dan Runcy Trapital Investor, which you kind of already are already, but now you're you're putting your money into someone's catalog, but you're trying to maximize return. Who's that gonna be? Ooh, if I want to maximize my return on someone's catalog right now, I will invest myself in the Taylor Swift Taylor's version. All oh. of those songs. Give me all of them. Mm. game over no decay curve there either <laughs> <laughs> and then all even right, more uh, so she, she still has like three albums left to re-record i'm all in you're all in all right but, uh, one Dan, more can i add Go ahead. one real quick it's related what's the what's your favorite hip-hop album of all time like you mentioned frank ocean incredible album but like hip-hop i know that's like we could be all day talking about that one but curious if one comes to mind Oh, yeah. So the ones I'll always go back to. Um, so I think Kanye's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Amazing. Um, I think it's one of the best ones you've seen. Um, Jay-Z's yeah. Blueprint, also really good. Um, 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying. I mean, that oh, one probably yeah, has like, sentimental value just because of like how big it was at that point. Yeah. Yo, when Wangster dropped, oh, oh my boy. god, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's when so Wang, good. When Wang, I remember when Wangster came out. I'm like, who Incredible. is this guy? Um, that's an amazing question. Thank, thanks for dropping that below. Uh, I'll do this before we do the great or best record. If Trump, somebody your had to read one of your travel articles, what would it be? Oh, Could wait, you say can that you again? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, yeah. Inter- was saying, that cutting off you guys as well? Yeah, yeah just just say that question again. All we'll right. cut question that. Yeah. is, uh, uh, Dan, uh, for everybody listening, they're gonna have to read one capital article. What is the canonical go-to article? 
Oh, so I would actually say the report that we put out in um, the fall of last year. So we released this report called the Culture Report. This is our first semi-annual breakdown on the most important trends that are happening. So we talk about catalog sales. We talk about how artists are become millionaires by selling music, but they become billionaires by selling product. We talk about some of trends happening in streaming and how things have shifted over time. We talk about future selling as catalog, where we are right now with NFTs and Web3. We're going to be releasing these twice a year, but that one is still on the homepage, trapital.co. So check that one out, the culture report. And we'll link to that in the, the show notes below as well. So you can just click straight there and uh, make sure you're signed up for that. We've got so five minutes left. Us. Where do we want to? We've got let's five minutes with Dan. Let's, we've been teasing it. So Dan recently did a podcast uh, uh, about a Def Jam versus Cash Money Records, which was to decide who was the the best record label ever. So the one quote I'll say from that, which I love, is like if Warren Buffett was a value investor, which he is, and he was investing in one of his labels, he'd do cash money because how much they were able to squeeze the value out of a such a great like how analogy, amazing is that, yeah. right? Like this is why <laughs> yeah, like capital's yeah. the best. It's like the, the frame. But so uh, uh Dan, uh super quickly is uh how uh Def Jam versus Cash Money, why did you pick those two as uh potentially the greatest uh, uh, record labels ever and what criteria are you using? And then where did you kind of end up? Yeah. So first shout out to my friend, Zach O'Malley Greenberg, because he was the one that made the Warren Buffett analogy, which I love, which I've repeated <laughs> since then. But yeah, so he brought that one in here. But for me, it was two things. So we did this episode that was a breakdown on cash money. It was very much, uh, okay, let's go back. What made this one unique and everything else? And the question at the top was, what's the best record label ever? And we still said that Def Jam was the best hip hop record label ever, just considering the longevity. There's so many eras that you could go back to. And I know that the past 10 years or so maybe haven't been as noteworthy, but you go back to the eighties with like LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, everything that they were able to do then. Then you go to the nineties and it just became so synonymous with hip hop whether you had Jay-Z, DMX, Method Man, and you know so many other folks that were involved with the label as well. You go into the early 2000s, partnerships they had with Ja Rule as well, with everything they did with Murder, Inc., and then more broadly with Rockefeller Records. And even more recently, of course, that's where Rihanna was signed. They had Jeezy, they had Kanye as well for so many years. So many of these bigger albums we're talking about, My Beautiful Doctor Sid Fantasy is a Def Jam album. So I think it has to be them. But I think the unique thing, and this is where cash money does stand out. If we're talking about businesses, like a company that you'd actually want to be able to invest in, I do think that cash money stands stronger there because it's an independent company. It's an independent company that has a distribution deal, which means that you know they're the ones that retain but for you know 15 20% they are offering their you know music to then be distributed by universal music group so the cash money still retains so much of that as opposed to def jam was acquired by the major record labels in the late 90s so it's a different thing there where one you're comparing an independent company versus the one that's under the umbrella but in terms of the the, the Warren Buffett line there was this whole era where people just started spending so much money on music videos and high quality producers or, or more well-known producers and stuff. And cash money just really didn't do any of that stuff. I mean, there were so many times where hip hop artists were wearing flashier suits. You had hype Williams music videos with the fish lens and all this stuff that worked well on MTV, but cash money is just like, no, we know what we're doing. This, this Southern music thing is our thing. And 
their records did in many ways just as good and they were able to do more or less they were able to still retain ownership after all these years and now they have a business that generates 20 to 30 million dollars a year just from the masters from all these artists you're including you know juvenile lil wayne drake nikki and so many others and they really don't have to do as much. It is kind of a cash cow at this point. Granted, I think they could do much more channeling back to the other part of the conversation we had, but I do think that there's something to be said there. So the better company, I'd say cash money, although there's plenty of issues about them not paying artists fairly, but in terms of the hip hop influence has to be Def Jam. Man, we be all right if we put Drake guys. on every hook. <laughs> yes, <sir. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Wait, uh, Dan, I, I just had one comment uh, from you mentioning the uh, the music video. I think you, I think it was from uh, either yours accent. It was such a great line. Like, I think the jacket that Diddy wore in like more, uh, more money, more problems cost him more than like, the entire video for like cash money. Like, they, like yes. the bling bling video, uh, right? That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that moment. Yeah, that would have costed more than anything from like juvenile back then. Yeah, so 100%. <laughs> Incredible. Well, amazing, Dan. Thanks again for coming on, yeah, man. Was, I know we're, we're hitting time. Oh, that, that was, was super cool. Yeah, we could do this. We definitely got to have you again because I feel like we got another seven topics we could talk through uh, another time. But yeah, appreciate you coming on. Jack and Trung, anything else before we say no, bye no, to Dan? No, just no, We definitely got a few more episodes to, yeah, to do. Yeah, I would love to great. have you back on, man. That was amazing. Thank you. Definitely. Definitely. Let's do it, man. This has been an honor. Love what you guys are doing. And yeah, this was fun. Let's do it. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it, Dan, man. Speak soon. Cheers. Appreciate you all. Talk soon. I had one more thing I was going to bring up if we wanted to keep recording for a few minutes. But, yeah, let's um, keep recording for a couple of I, I literally just wanted to talk about Bilal's stanky face every time. <laughs> every well, time. Every, every time, time Dan mentioned a sick artist. Bilal's yeah, just I'm like, like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should just keep this in the pod, yeah, by the way. This should just... Man. I, yeah. I literally saw Bilal when I when he's like uh, in the nineties when he had DMX, but I was like, oh, oh yeah, and then I was dude. DMX, RIP, man, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but anyway, I went, yeah, by so, the way, yeah. I went to Go DMX's on. last ever concert, boys. By really? no way, yeah, 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 yeah Barclays Center. Oh no oh, way! Snap, yeah, yeah, yeah. man, that's crazy. Like, you know, when you just said DMX, man. I thought of Barclays Center because the day he died, I was walking past because I live pretty close to it, and and I was walking past it, and there were all these people outside on their bikes and stuff. Or like, mm. uh, I think he was, like, yeah, and it was just that they took over the whole street with all like dogs and stuff. It was like a big like testimonial to him. Memorial, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. Memorial, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, so uh, Editor, we can keep this all in. Let's keep the, the background in for people. Uh, Trung, are you still there or have you frozen on us? One second. <laughs> <laughs> in that case, I'll just, <laughs> maybe we keep this all in just to yeah, close get, it out. keep it authentic for, for people. But I do have, um, did you see this David Guetta thing with Eminem? Optimize, here we go. I'm just going to play this for people at home who haven't seen this already. This is the future rave sound. I'm getting lost in an underground. The way he does the hand this is, is so funny. This is the future funny. rave sound. I'm getting lost in an underground. <laughs> it's what a legend. Yeah, he's a G. Look at that, man. Eminem, bro. There's something that I made as a joke, <laughs> and it so works funny. so good, I could not believe it. I discovered those websites that are about uh, AI. Those websites. Basically, you can write lyrics in the style of any artist you like. So I typed, write a verse in the style of Eminem about future <laughs> rave. And I went to another AI website that can 
recreate the, vo the voice. I put the text in that and I played the record and people went nuts. He's a legend, what well, a legend. Anyways, Mate, so- Unreal. His reaction, So amazing. good. I found these AI website, what a legend. He, I love the one he said, uh, I went on these websites, I'm like, all right, where's this going here? Because this could end in many different yeah. ways. But no, I guess the question is, because, you know, we've talked about this for like video images. Jack, we talked about you for like images stuff. But like that sounds 100% like Eminem, right? And and so the question kind of is, like, if you extrapolate this out a few years, like both for actors on TV and for like musicians here, you're pretty much not going to necessarily even need to go to Drake and say, drop the 30 second uh, feature or Rick Ross, mm -hmm. whoever's on it, Lil Wayne back in the day. So like, do you, how do you think it's going to play out? Because that's kind of a crazy like level of creativity yeah, yeah. that you can get tap into there. Well, boys, this is the checks thesis. I got to get my checks plug in on every episode. We go. Yeah, yeah. This Actually, idea. wait, but, uh, Jack, the rules are I have to talk about checks or Bala has a time. Okay, we're doing it. Hey, yeah, so uh, thank you, listeners. Uh, this episode of uh, Non-Investment Advice is brought to you by Checks. Checks. Checks.art. Yeah, Checks.art. Uh, Bilal, did you have any thoughts about Checks.art? <laughs> Ridiculous. All right. Well, yeah, go on, Jack. Go on. Wow. Okay, so I was just uh, the... The plug, this idea of like notability, authorship, like who made what, who owns what, all of these questions that are becoming like, you know, the Tim Urban graphic where it's like you are here and the, the curve is going vertical. That's like a very, very poignant way to, I think, depict where we are in this whole, uh, like the environment of creativity and or like the production of entertainment it's a crazy like the implications are obviously crazy and you saw underneath his tweet he said obviously i'm not going to release this commercially and it's like well you kind of already have you know what i mean like you tweeted about it you played it in a venue with fucking hundred thousand people in there like that is that if that's not a commercial exercise i don't know what is right so even all of those lines are that's like a I'm, not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna put this on itunes and sell it for 99 cents but it's probably made David Guetta more relevant in the last couple of weeks than he has been. But in... we're talking about him, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and I don't know who like who, like would Eminem challenge that in a court of law? Like, what would that even look like? What are you? What is it that he owns? Like the pitch of the voice that he's using to create it. I like would everything love is to a remix know of another idea. It's a crazy. Those guys and, were and chatting. Once this thing explodes the how many of those things are you gonna have to keep up with it's it's just like it's like genies out of the bottle boys i don't know what it means for um you can imagine going on like a spotify competitor that's just like generating music in real time instead of even like the yeah. dynamics shifts from even making it and recording it and putting it out to just generate it in real time it's crazy that's like, a great that that idea about like yeah it's basically a personalized music is being created as you're listening to it. At the same time, I feel like if that becomes prevalent and the norm, there's always like the, the anti-trend and the anti-trend sure. might be, we're now all listening to the classics again, Mariah Hymns. Carey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's. I think the other question I had was like how Eminem would feel about this. And my opinion is probably most artists because 
I would a lot of them aren't always the first to embrace the new technology and they would see it as like oh well when you know we used to sell CDs mp3s are coming out and now like we need to go and sue you know Napster or whatever instead of seeing like well we're going to get this out to hundreds of millions of people and we can make money in a concert and so I think a lot of them would say well you can't use my my voice without me which I kind of get like I would probably feel the same what what about you Trung what do you reckon Uh, I think we've we've touched on this in the past but Fred Wilson from uh, the venture firm USV wrote about this exactly what Jack said there's gonna be explosion of people like me and Bilal making songs about DMX that with his voice, without his permission, uh, maybe not DMX, but I'll definitely be doing Despacito type songs. Um, he says, what is, what is the yin to AI generated art? What is the yin to that yang? It's crypto. You're fingerprinting. What is the original? Uh, and it's on the plane. Check the chain. What's the original? Check the chain. Th- does that make sense guys? It's like, this is the other world of it, right? It, what, what ultimately was Bitcoin? It took digital money and made it scarce because typically in the digital world, nothing is scarce. Everything's abundant, easily replicable. Bitcoin, as we've talked ad nauseum, is very scarce. <laughs> there, there is a certain finite number. And I think that's actually where whoever solves that, it, that's where the connection is going to be made between crypto and AI because crypto creates, in theory, scarcity of the digital assets. When Jack said that that Tim Urban line, which we should pull up, but it's just a it's just an exponential line, just showing literally it's a straight line goes straight and then right up, right. When there's that much uh, that amount of uh, creative uh, output, you're gonna have to find a way to find the provenance of the content. And man, like I know that crypto uh, got completely shot on over the past eighteen months, and it's the AI summer now. But it's there, man. It's like that's the solution. AI I, I, summer. I, it's AI, AI summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Went from. Yeah. Jesus well, what God. do you guys yeah, think about you. that idea, or is that just too much uh, theory? Theory. Uh, what's the words like? Um, theory explaining, or just like, oh yeah, you're just trying to think connect like, these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm think boing. Think boing, man. Yeah. Is that does that resonate with you guys? The idea of that if there's all this entertainment abundance uh, that will be unheard of in people's hands. Like even now, like we already do user generator, but this will take it to the millionth degree. Um, yeah, hundred percent correct. Yeah, it's like the long, 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 long tail hyper. It's like seven billion perfect echo chambers. Yeah, and Crazy. then there's yeah. one way to track it. Check well, the chain. I, I was just yeah. going to add, just to to move us on real quick. The only DMX song I'm ever going to try to remake is using a sample of. Have you ever ever heard him sing "Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer"? <laughs> Have you guys ever heard this? I, actually, oh my Legit. god. Legit, I'm playing yeah, it for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah. Wait, this Unreal. is him singing Rudolph Renner. You know, Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen. Okay. Comet and Cupid <laughs> and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall the Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer? Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. 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 Rudolph Sorry, I mean, I'll stop Dude. it out. But man, what an incredible... He made it sound so sick as well. Um, yeah, no, the great question, Trunk. Um, but yeah, I guess... Yeah, I, I'm, I don't really have much more to add from what you guys just said there. But yeah, definitely interesting to think about. Um, all right, boys, should we wrap this up with a quick fire one? Or how are you guys feeling? Yeah, let's do a, let's do some rapid fire. Like we hit Dan with, it'll be a nice way to end this. I mean, the, the basic one was the album. We might have done this on another pod, but have you guys got any others instead of the album one? Or we can do an album if you want. 
I'll, I'll throw this one. I'll, I'll do the ones that I probably played the most is All Eyes on Me, Tupac. I remember when that oh, came out. Oh, there we go. Run, just getting like, hyped. Double, double disc, double <laughs> disc. Y'all hit when that when All About You, the number two on disc one hits. Whoa, watch out. I asked um, when you when you when your internet went a second ago, I asked Jack and he was like, man, this is always a hard one. So Jack, is there anything coming to mind for you, mate? I'm going with a newer one. I'm going to go and Dave. Oh, All alone yeah. in this together. I thought Love that was that. a like, legit masterpiece. Definitely, definitely go listen to that. That's a sick one, yeah. I'm going to throw, yeah, because you're giving the UK some love. I'll give one more. This is not necessarily my favorite album of all time, but it's, like I've already mentioned Illmatic before, like that's a classic. Um, but there's a, actually a mixtape, which I would kind of count as an album, but it's not really one, called Beats and Bars by Kano. And it's like the old, it's basically like a mixtape where he takes his old beats and he just spits on it. Class. And it's so good. I think you can't even get it on Spotify. It's probably on, on YouTube somewhere. But yeah, that's one that kind of has a lot of childhood uh, memories for me, man. Um, all right, boys, anything else before we log off? What would your favorite concert? Let's do the favorite concert. Well, I'm going to have to think about that one. Uh, I mentioned I mean, mine now. I'll just finish it so before what you guys both think yeah. is, uh, was the Watch the Throne was, uh, was oh, Jay-Z yeah. 2011. Just because Jack, you went to that one as well. You saw that one, Jack? I've seen every single Kanye concert. Oh, oh serious? Amazing. Wow. Okay. That the was Watch one I didn't throne. get to, man. And I heard it was the best. Incredible. Well, I'd love to ask Jack's uh, uh, take on this. Uh, I, that's the only one I went to. I just remember them doing that word in Paris 11 times in a row. <laughs> if people just yeah. going ham the yeah. whole time. 11 times. Literally, there's man. a YouTube video. It's 48 minutes long. It's just them Class. doing that one song 11 times. Uh, Boys, I don't know if I've ever used this uh, this on the pod before, this story, but I went to Miami with the boys I grew up with the week that album came out. Oh, mental. boy. Just Wait, watch mental. the throne? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just everywhere you went was like that oh, tune yeah. on repeat all night. Just like they maybe put one breather in and then it'd go back <laughs> to it over and over it's crazy man great so, great great so album. jack can you can you rank watch the throne uh concert versus the other ones and then your favorite concert you've been to uh other as in all time different ones all time man, yeah it's up there top three probably and then of his like jesus that like the stagecraft on that one was ridiculous ridiculous like that was another barclay center one it was just silly man like the production that went into that and then you know another good one i went to maybe my favorite was swedish house mafia that was a, that was a sick it uh, was that was that in a massive venue or is it like barclay a... center again oh yeah you got barclay center on the regular <laughs> damn yeah the light show local the, like i was like their farewell tour that was a that was a good time and a lot of festivals back in the day, you know. Um, yeah, love it. Love it, boys. The live music. If you are without responsibilities, get yourself to as much live music as you possibly can. There you go. That's and the some, advice some for the day. words of advice, yeah. Well, I, I, think you. I, I think I went to the Glow in the Dark tour. I'm um, just looking at the, the tours. Um, here, that was 2008. I can't remember, I honestly. Cardiff. Oh, you did that in Cardiff. Damn. Yeah, 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 I think mine was in London. I think I was in London somewhere. And yeah, I, I can't honestly remember. I can't place it. I've been to see him like three, four times as well. But um, yeah, the visuals were amazing. But I didn't go to watch the throne. And I don't think I saw 
Jesus tour, but I saw videos. Uh, is that the one where I think he, he put it up in Williamsburg, like when he launched like the album? A, it's and like he, a mountain, and this is where they all had was the it. face masks Yeah, on. yeah. Was, Do you know what? You know actually, who, I did you know, go to that. I did go to that one, actually. I it think was Travis incredible. Scott opened for him as well. Damn. And it, they had, he was riding on a bird. Like, they had this massive mechanical <laughs> bird. that it was, it was nuts, man. Oh, I would do one more. Um, Tame Impala, I just went to in Nashville. That's nice. like way out of my like. I would never book tickets to that, but somebody had a spare ticket, and I went. That was that was class. That's a good That's example it. of like. There's like 15 year old kids going to that, and 60 year olds. It was like a craziest mashup of people I've ever seen at a music concert. But talent. That's sick. Wait, last one. What was your first concert? Do you guys remember that? Oh, Spice you can laugh. Girls, I do remember Backstreet my first Boys. concert. Uh, I went to see the game in Montreal. Uh, when his uh, yeah the game yeah that's well, your look, first look, one that's dude. incredible <laughs> that's legendary the, man a massive fight broke out he, he came ninety minutes late to the stage a massive fight broke out and cops like raided the venue uh, it was like French uh, French gangbangers uh, but that was the first one Jesus I went to ask. Yes. Montreal <laughs> popping yeah. off uh, that's and, wait uh, how old were you do you think. No, this is crazy. I didn't go to my first concert until my early 20s. That was, no, oh, it was either, wow. it was either 18, 19, or 20. No, 19 I'm, or 20 I'm actually the same as you. I went when I was like at uni. I was like mm. 18. Okay. And it was like okay. Talib Kweli. I remember, oh, which was so, fire, which was in, um, was it Jazz Cafe in London, which I don't know if you've been to either of you, but it's quite a small, intimate venue. Actually a beautiful place for a concert. And, uh, but yeah, th th it's funny. Talib Kweli, I like, but, I'm not like, he's not like my top five artists, right? But I do, he's kind of independent. So whenever he's in town, I'll, I'll go. Oh, you want to support? I think I've seen him more times than anyone else. That's kind of the point. But just because he comes all the time and he'll be a cool small venue. I saw him at SOBs in New York when I first moved there. Um, yeah, I think I've seen him in like three, four cities. In San Francisco, I saw him once in some forest party thing, which was kind of crazy as well. Um, yeah, anyways, that was probably my first one, which was a bit of a random one. Um, Jack, did you remember yours? Did you just say it? Oh, no. Uh, mine was probably maybe funeral for a friend. Oh, there we you know, go. Yes, I'm, you know, I'm in, uh, I was in the alternative Drunk's rock face. circles as Drunk's a young, as a young yeah. teenager. Well, I I'll send you a couple is. of tracks. I'll send you, you a couple of tracks, Sean. Okay. No, that was okay. my, that was my, uh, that Aggie was my teenage years, yeah? Yeah, yeah that... before I was, before I was introduced to, yeah. Hip hop, the, the, the rich Paul tapestry of music outside <laughs> yeah. of that. Yeah. Well, let For, me. Uh, no, I was gonna say. Speaking of the non-rich tapestry music, here's a, another really memorable concert for me. Is I saw the Backstreet Boys in Saigon. Oh think, my think god! Oh, that's that just sick. Wow, <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> the Backstreet Boys that's great. Can you imagine Saigon. Trump, <laughs> that's great. Man. That must have been wild, man. Dude, wild. It's just because like there are no big concerts in Vietnam so like the locals were very confused about what to do like everybody was sitting down in a chair they didn't know if they are allowed to get up and like I'm just like 10 drinks deep just absolutely smashed losing my mind and like 99.999% of the other they were sent down just out this out that's the incredible trying to enjoy themselves very confused about what this uh, overseas Vietnamese guy is doing but man they got some bangers <laughs> Damn, yeah, right. we're hoping for a Oasis huh? reunion as well. Oh, this, serious? This year or next year, yeah. That, that would that be was, sick. I, that was another chance, last ever concert. I saw the last ever Oasis concert before that all went to shit. No, what, yeah. where was that? Cardiff. In the UK? 
Card- yeah, yeah, yeah. Cardiff really had some bangers going there. That was uh, yeah. on the store. Millennium on the, Stadium, the tour. Oh, Millennium Stadium. I forgot. Yeah, that's a huge stadium. Because yeah. Trunk, when Wembley Arena or Wembley Stadium, the home of football, um, was being rebuilt, everything moved to Cardiff for like a few years. So, And it's Man, a massive, that was, beautiful that stadium. That was a massive story when they built that, right? It was crazy. Yeah, it was it was beautiful, actually. Like, yeah. Cardiff's a good time, man. Cardiff's what's the uh, what's capacity? Like massive, like 60,000? Probably sixty, something like that. Unreal, Maybe a little less. unreal. Massive, yeah. It's a beautiful stadium. All right, boys. I think that's where we can call it. Um, I hope you guys have made it all the way here. Thanks again for being with us. That was actually one of my favorite episodes in a long time. Dan was sick. He brought the heat, oh, dude. And uh, yeah, I think because we talk Knowledge. about culture and music and stuff all the time on here. But we actually got someone who knows what they're talking about, not just us three idiots <laughs> good, yeah. reading someone's thread and talking about <laughs> Sean Paul. Yeah. Fact check on Millennium Stadium is 74,000, boys. Okay, oh, there we okay. go. Yeah, yeah. Don't listen to anything we say. Yeah, uh, anyway, appreciate you guys and being there. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, uh, Creator Lab. Uh, find that in any of your <laughs> podcast players. Creator Lab, uh, That's Spotify, true. Apple yeah, Music. Yeah, episodes went live. Use yeah. code Bilal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got our boy uh, Mario Gabriel. Okay, I've recorded with him. That's coming out in two oh, weeks. Oh, really that's gonna good be a episode. fire episode. Okay, that was so, a good uh, episode. Dude, definitely check out Creator Lab. Uh, you guys do that, and uh, uh, thank there you to go. our sponsors. Barely AI forward slash NIA and uh, Jack Butcher's <laughs> NFTs, which everyone already knows about. So, thanks again for being here. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers for actually. Wait, one last thing we want to say. Actually, it's the hundredth episode next week. Do we want to say that we might be doing potentially live? We we need to see if we're committing to it or not. But yeah, uh, yeah let's do it. Let's well, do yeah, it. we we'll might do be it. doing. Yeah, we might be doing a, a live spaces the next day, right? Yeah, on the when Wednesday. It goes live let's on Wednesday, that, yeah. two p.m. EST. Yeah, um, we will confirm Maybe that. We'll get some Q and A from the Telegram. Q and A, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a hundredth episode, so yeah, Wednesday next week, two p.m. EST. We'll do a live on spaces and but look out in the telegram group because we'll confirm it there and share the link and all that stuff but yeah we'll we'll hopefully have some uh, live stuff for you guys there and we'll see you next week cheers